We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. The independence case is a powerful one. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by a consummate freelance professional, great fan of Doctor Who, and the co-author, <laughs> alongside Tom Phillips, of an excellent new book, Conspiracy Theories, a history, uh, conspiracy, a history of bollocks theories and how not to fall for them, John Ellidge. Welcome back to the podcast, John. Hey, Will. Thank you very much for having me. Good to be here. It's great to have you on again. Um, the last time that you were on the podcast, I think Theresa May was still Prime Minister, and we're going to be heading for <laughs> very soon um, her second successor. So it's been a while um, since you've last been on. Um, I'm so impressed by the podcast staying power. You know, if you've been going like for three or four years, that's that's quite a long that's quite a long lifespan for a podcast these days, isn't it? So you it know, is. Yeah, congratulations, it, well done. <laughs> thank you, um, thank you. Um, but the, the the first question that I'd like to ask in relation to the book is. What was it that made um, you and Tom decide that you wanted to write a book about conspiracy theories? Um, I, I don't know what's the origin story, really. Uh, it was, I mean, it was originally Tom's, it was originally Tom's thing, put it that mm -hmm. way. It was a, it was a, a, Tom and I have the same, the same agent and the same publisher. Um, and they, and this is sort of the third in, in the very successful series uh, he's done the first two of which are humans, a brief history of how we fucked it all up. Uh, and the second of which is truth, a brief history of total bullshit. Um, so you can, you can see very much where the, where the form comes in. Um, but they really, they were really keen to get a third in the series. He was at the time uh, editing a website called Full Fact. Uh, um, and uh, it was just, uh, I was kind of plugged into it to kind of give a bit of, to give a bit, a bit of help. Um, because he was he, he was rather busy. There was a lot of fact checking going on mm. in, in, in 2020, um, and yeah, I was I was looking for another I was looking for another project. And Tom and I had known each other for a long time. It'd be great, and it was uh, great working together. Um, but it, I, I think the, the the idea of the the book in and of itself was just because I mean, looking around the world in 2019, 2020, there were. There was quite a lot of conspiracy theories coming to the fore and mm. and affecting things in in quite a big way. Um, in the you know it was it was kind of conceived of I think during the first phase of the pandemic. So obviously we'd seen a lot of stuff about you know is five G giving people COVID, or there was a story about um, which we've got in the book the story of um, black helicopters popping by um, at a particular time every evening to kind of spray with uh, like antivirals mm. or something, which was, which is, which is interesting because that's, you know, black helicopters are obviously sort of a feature of conspiracy law going back decades, but normally they're the bad guys. It was mm. sort of interesting seeing a conspiracy theory spreading that, in which they're suddenly the goodies and they're going around like helping cure people of COVID. Um, so between that and, and Donald Trump kind of in the run into his, his re-election campaign, uh, and you know, yeah, and all the all the stuff around Brexit and everything. It, it just very much felt like a moment, I think, mm. uh, in which this was this was a very big feature of, of of politics on on both sides of the Atlantic and indeed elsewhere. Um, so something that isn't in the book because it's a bit it's a bit weird and pathetic. Um, as I realised halfway through writing it, I had got sucked into um, a conspiracy rabbit hole a few years ago. Oh wow! Um, um, but the reason it's not the reason this didn't lead to any sort of radicalization or anything is because it's the most pathetic of, of conspiracy theories you can imagine, which is um, 
there was a rumor going around um, that someone had found uh, most of the missing episodes of Doctor Who. From oh six. God, yeah, yeah, I remember that. You remember this? I, I, I thought I thought you might be. I thought you might be um, <laughs> uh, a bit of a fan. Um, but yeah, and it turned this guy Philip Morris, and it turned out there was something at the root of it. He had this guy had discovered nine. Yeah. Out of the the hundred and six, it was at that point, I think, um, which is you know that's the biggest haul in decades. Yeah. But just thinking back, I could I can see exactly the mechanisms by which people will kind of speculate something and then someone else could repeat it and it would gradually solidify into fact. Yeah. So you read this rumor, and then like two weeks later, you'd read something else and be oh that's great that's the second source but it wasn't it's the same it's the same thing. Yeah. Just, you could just see it bouncing around the internet. And it got to this point that like, genuinely, like this guy came out with nine episodes and everyone went, oh, that's rubbish. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, so it's not, it's not quite a conspiracy exactly, but it's that exact same dynamic yeah. of just, of just uh, how, the, how the internet has kind of sped this stuff up and enabled, <laughs> enabled it to fuck everyone up at a far, yeah. far more effective rates than previously. I mean, I really remember that at the time because, um, there was an article, there was two articles that I wrote about it at the time that was related to a specific subcategory of that conspiracy theory, which was that there were a load of missing episodes that a mate of Ian Levine's had found in Taiwan and that they were, for some reason, um, stored there and that the guy who owned them wasn't going to show them all. There was some sort of like really rambling thing about it. So I thought, this is a bit weird. I'll see if they did actually broadcast Doctor Who at any time in one of the American military bases in Taiwan. I had a look and I got in contact with someone who was um, an ex-service uh, person there. And he said, yeah, no, we didn't have any British TV at all in Taiwan. And yet it had spread across some of the um, message boards. I think it was like on Planet Mondas for quite a while that there were these... Um, cache of episodes that this guy who was a mate of Ian Levine's yeah. had, had, had found there. But the, the was problem was there. there was just enough possible truth to this yeah. for it to not be completely not like I can't I can't remember the details but I'm pretty sure there have been episodes that have turned up in places they should not have been yeah and we don't and, and nobody has the paperwork so it's like whether they were sent ahead is like do you want to buy this or something yeah. they were never actually shown in these countries so it's not it wasn't completely crazy oh look. So, but I just remember, um, do, do you follow Jim Smith? Yes. Yeah. He's, a, he's a, a, a good mate of mine. But he, when this first came out uh, and someone, uh, someone on a mailing list, someone kind of went away, looked at the, like there were these, got, there was this gossip and they went away yeah. and came back and said, okay, here are the two rooms I've been able to find. And, ever, and we all went kind of fucking mental for it. And this was on a Friday night when I was at one of my oldest friends, Stag Dudes, by the way, yeah. and I was back in the corner. <laughs> reading reading uh, forum posts about six yeah. episodes of Doctor because I'm that cool. Um and and yeah so so like so like this guy repeat uh, repeated the rumor yeah. uh, and then away and kind of fact check it sort of ran it again like basically looked at who bought what and came yeah. back and said okay it sort of fits with this country it fits with this country I think it's this one. Yeah. And and that kind of that thing where that felt like a form of confirmation yeah but it wasn't it was like probably what had happened was the original solid piece of information was this guy philip morris is looking for episodes in zambia or whatever it was yeah. 
And off the back of that, someone had gone away and come up with a list of possible episodes he had found. And then that had gone round. Seen it and looked at it and gone, right, it's, it's Zambia, clearly. It's and do you see what I mean? The different yeah, bits kind of confirm each other. But actually, there's only, you can see how it all kind of grows out of one solid piece of information. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that I think is very interesting um, about the period uh, that, that we're talking about, 2019, 2020, and, and, and more recent times, um, in, in terms of conspiracy theories, is that you have this massive event, as you, as you say, the, um, the pandemic um, occurring, that really seemed to, um, I think, make people feel much more vulnerable. And one of the things that and you point out in the book is that often people rely on conspiracy theories when they feel particularly vulnerable when they feel that they need something to explain what's happening in the world to give them a sort of a, a system of beliefs or an explanation as to why a one event or another is occurring do, do you think that that's one of the um real uh generators one of the real furnaces for conspiracy theories when we have major global events like the pandemic like a world war that sort of make people who might not have necessarily been um, interested in conspiracy theories or engaged with them much more want to because something is happening that is so out of their uh, sphere of um, understanding that they have to grasp for something that seems to answer it. Yeah, so so one of the bits I did a lot of work on in the book was uh, quite early on, we've got a chapter about the psychology of conspiracy theories. Mm. Um, and I did a lot of reading on, on uh, for that. And one of the things I uh, one of the things I came across a chap called Michael, Sh- Michael Shermer, who is mm. um, founder, I think, of the American Skeptic Society, uh, came up with a couple of words meaning uh, a couple of concepts that he thinks kind of explain conspiracy theories. Uh, one of which is uh, patternicity, mm. which is um, exactly what it sounds like. Um, it's basically the, the ability of the human brain to spot patterns. Um, and, and, you know, if you, you know, the, the examples I always give uh, are, you know, spotting the slight change in the weather that means a storm is coming and you should take precautions, or, or spotting the, the change in a light pattern at the corner of your eye that means there's a there's a predator in the bushes you know if, if the 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 the, the uh, animals that can kind of make those connections are going to have an evolutionary advantage over those that can't mm. um and the other the other one is thing called agenticity which is which is the same but like you know if there is an effect there must be an, a conscious agent behind mm. it so so that like you know you can see the sort of greek gods in that you know if there's a storm there must be someone creating the storm or you know if the crops have failed it's because we've not been building enough temples or but you can also see that in conspiracy theories that like there has been you know there has been a major economic downturn my business is gone i'm my home is at risk someone is behind this maybe it's those jesuits who i've never really liked very mm. much you know it's yeah. Um, you know, both and both of these are kind of useful concepts in terms of under- making sense of the world, but they can get too developed. You know, it's because sometimes, some sometimes we see patterns that aren't there, or sometimes um, we are we are imputing motive where 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 there is only kind of chance. I mean, if you think about um, the the COVID pandemic, you've already kind of touched on. If you think about that. Um, the most likely explanation for it is is simply you know, the random mutations in some bat in, in some viruses somewhere in a bat in, mm. in Wuhan or wherever. You know, it's just 
and the brain can't really get get you can't really can't really get your head around that yeah it's sort of easier to comprehend the idea that someone was doing this deliberately um either as a bioweapon or as you know just just kind of like mucky about scientifically to see what it was doing. But, but the idea that someone is somewhere is pressing a button that made this happen is kind of an easier concept to understand than that a, mi- a million million tiny chances happen to have paid off in this direction mm. um so i think this is a very long roundabout answer to your question but i think it's i i think the desire to feel in control uh obviously kind of leans on these these things quite a lot it's because if you if you understand why something is happening that does give you a sense of control over it mm-hmm. um even if you can't fight back it it does kind of mean like you still know who's behind it you know you know there is a theoretical possibility of fighting back there's a theoretical yeah. possibility of change whereas if it's just random chance and stuff happens how do you deal with that it's mm. really difficult to kind of see where you where you begin yeah so yeah i think people do in in times of in times of stress they are more likely to to start um, seeing patterns and agents that aren't there. Mm. And conspiracy theories are, are an outgrowth of that, yeah. Yeah. One of the things I also think is interesting in um, the book is that um, certain conspiracy theories tend to be believed by um, people of particular political persuasions because they fit, uh, fit into their um, already pre-existing um, system of, 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 of belief. Do you think that this is something that when we're looking at uh, populists in, in, in particular, it's easier to sort of um, define them, um, not just as sort of like uh, uh, populists in general, but as uh, right-wing or, or left-wing populists based on the kind of conspiracy theories that they um, feed into, because there does seem to be sort of a distinction between some of the conspiracy theories that are believed by people on uh, the left and those who uh, and those believed by people on the right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the I think there's a number of reasons why people in different political tendencies would believe different conspiracy theories. Uh, one of which is that obviously different theories will be convenient to them, mm-hmm. or more likely to, uh, you know, are, are literally convenient to them in terms of making the arguments they want to make. Mm-hmm. Or, or in terms of um, shoring up their existing beliefs. So, 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 so one of the things I, I, I came across suggested that um, right-wing Americans are more likely to believe conspiracy theories about um, the government wanted to come take your guns or something, whereas left-wing ones are more likely to believe conspiracies about you know, evil corporations, for example. And you can you can see exactly how both of those groups get there, because those are the things that are that already accord with what they already think. Um, but also, I think there are there are other factors such as just you know um, filter bubbles, mm. so like the information that you are exposed to is more likely to to. Uh, Includes particular conspiracy theories, or or, or the kind of reinforcing tech, um, sort of reinf- the sort of the reinforcement in your beliefs you get from from a sort of social media feedback loop, where like you know if you if you say a particular thing, everyone on your side will cheer, and everyone mm-hmm. on the other side will get angry, you know you <laughs> and you rush <laughs> endorphins. It's yeah. like, you know you can see exactly why people keep pressing that button. Yeah, that. Um, and, and, consp- and particularly conspiracy theories will, will fit into that. Um, but also, you were talking about populism on the left and right. I think it is also worth noting that 
you don't need any of those things for, for a political group to kind of get sucked into a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. I think actually one of the, there is also a centrist conspiracy mm-hmm. theory that came across, which is the idea um, of, of uh, Cambridge Analytica, this, this political consultancy, having somehow swung the Brexit referendum mm-hmm. all by itself, essentially, which, which we did some polling. We found out that is believed by a lot of Lib Dems and by 48% of all Remainers. Um, and there is no evidence of this whatsoever. I mean, it's mm. just these guys went around claiming they could do that, but there's, there's, but everyone who worked with them says, yeah, they're a bunch of shysters. Basically, <laughs> it's basically like you know a bunch of everyone has believed their PR because it is it, it is easier to it is more comforting to believe that an evil organisation uh, did this and swung the vote than it is that simply that people don't agree with you. Mm. So, so you know, Pete, I don't think you have to be on one of the extremes of politics to get to get sucked into conspiracism. I do think you have to. I think you, it does help to have strong beliefs, but those, but you can have strong centrist or strong liberal beliefs. Um, what, one one of the things that I find interesting that you, you mentioned there is in terms of the um, kind of echo chamber that um, you know I think to a degree we all perhaps exist in, particularly um, online. And, and one of the things that it is interesting is the way that um, conspiracy theory messages are uh, produced into these echo chambers is how um, slick they have become over the past few years. The uh, ability of people who propagate conspiracy theories to be able to um, manufacture them in, in, in a very um, professional way. They, they look like something that is, is made um, by someone who almost has some con- credentials simply because of the production values that are associated with the content. How much of a, an influence do you think that has on um, the way people respond to conspiracy theories, the kind of slickness of the presentation of them, or the way that they are presented that seems, you know, almost as if they could be made by uh, an official um, uh, or, or a more established, a mainstream uh, news network? Um, so I am, I am wildly speculating on my own account here. I haven't uh, seen any research on this. Um, and there's not, there isn't like a huge chunk of this in the book or anything, but I, my, my instinct is, I don't know how much impact it would have on, on what you yourself believe, because it, you know, you, we are all capable of, um, believing things no matter how, um, no matter how, <laughs> I mean, a lot, a lot of the early websites, you're probably a bit young for this, but a lot of the early, the early websites I remember on the internet back when you used to have like, you know, bits of flashing text and terrible font choices and bad colours and so on. Um, that kind of, that, that sort of stuff kind of feels like we still had this stuff going around then. Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't think it necessarily, if, if it accords with what you want to, or what you find interesting, what you want to believe, I don't think, I mean, I mean the quality of the, the, the product only, only sort of makes a marginal difference. I think probably though, where it does have a much bigger impact is, into the transmissibility mm. in that like you know whether whether an individual um who is already prone to believe something or not uh buys into something probably isn't affected that much by the quality of the web design <laughs> um but but um once it gets to the point it's like you're trying to sort of essentially recruit people on, on facebook or whatever mm-hmm. i think probably at that point something that looks professional should go hey look here is a real news source backing this up mm-hmm. it probably does help them mm-hmm. yeah 
Um, one of the things that I find interesting as well in the book is the um, distinctions that are made between different types of conspiracy theories, event conspiracies, uh, systemic conspiracies and super conspiracies. Could you just give sort of a brief oversight of what these 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 three different types of conspiracies mean and, and the different ways that they uh, can lure people in and, and make people believe them? Um, I'm going to be honest, that's one of Tom's chapters, so I get a bit hazy about some of this. Um, but I mean, basically, this is an escalation dynamic. Event conspiracies are, are the quite discreet ones. So like, um, I don't know what's a good one. Uh, the Brexit one we were just talking about. It's like, you know, it is it is about affecting a particular thing at a particular, at a particular event at a particular mm-hmm. time with a particular goal. It's all quite specific. Uh, systemic conspiracy are the ones you get into where it's... Uh, something like I know the the the, the new world order for all mm. the Bilderberg group wasn't it? There are the there are these people that actually have their their hands on on the leaves of power in a lot of different ways, and a lot of different events can be linked back to them. Um, super conspiracies are when you start getting a bunch of these things bunged together, which you can see with something like uh, QAnon. Mm. Which is which has started absorbing all these all, all these different conspiracy theories from all over the all over the internet, yeah, effectively, yeah. Uh, like like the blob. It just kind of swallows all these things, and then the people involved kind of pick and choose the bits that kind of most that fit with what they <laughs> that fit with what they want to believe. Yeah. Like you know that that Simpson screenshot of like you know Milhouse yeah. pointing at the blackboard with with everything on it. Um, it's like it's that that is yeah, a yeah. super conspiracy. Um, and the reason I'm a bit hesitant is I never entirely got my head around quite how you can tell when something's gone from systemic to super because they obviously have a lot of characteristics in common mm. um but i think i think i think one way in which they the super conspiracy are kind of more they're, they're, they're sort of almost sort of more like a super predator evolved super predators like they can mm. kind of um they can kind of like pick things up or drop them at will depending on which bit is 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 uh is, is propagating best yeah um, which is, you know, which is like how genes function in in evolutionary terms. Yep. You know, it's like um, so. So that's obviously that's you can see at that point you've got quite a different dynamic from from debates over who shot JFK. Yeah, yeah. So it's so there are these things do operate on very different scales and in very different ways. I think mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I, I found interesting reading the book and obviously look, um, looking at the you know the news at the the moment and things have been happening in the news over the past few months and years is that we have instances when we see um people you know feel shock at political leaders um people who are you know either president of the united states prime minister of the united kingdom um using conspiracy theories and, and essentially trying to um manipulate them for their own ends or, or, or use them as a, as, as a political um, point. But g- given if you've, if you've read the book, you, you know, anybody listening will know that this has been something that's been going on for a very long time. Political leaders throughout history have um, used conspiracy theories to a, a greater and lesser degree at different points. Do you think that there's something that um, the sort of the brazenness of them, particularly in, in the examples of, say, like Trump or uh, Victor Orban or Bolsonaro, the kind of brazenness of the use of conspiracies that has taken people uh, back to a certain, uh, taken people back to a certain degree, that makes them 
feel as if, oh, this is something that is, you know, brand new leaders dwelling on conspiracy theories when it's not. It's something that has uh, been been done for a, a very long time. I think it's... I think to some extent it's because though we do talk about how, how these things have come and gone over. I mean, we've got quite a lot of, of fairly detailed stuff in the history of the US going back to like the 1890s or something. You can you can see it coming up on a fairly regular schedule. But there are conspiracy theories in the book that go back far beyond that. I think the earliest one in there is um, the Roman general Germanicus mm. um, starting a conspiracy theory about his own death in the first century AD because it took him like a month to die. And he may, you know, he may have, he, he may have just been dying of like, you know, cancer or something. And he mm. didn't really have the, the, the medical science for it. Um, but he thought he'd been poisoned and he went around telling people who he had been poisoned by the Emperor Tiberius and his agents. And so, and so based on very little that, that spread. Uh, and that's obviously, you know, that's 2000 years ago, this stuff has been. Um, but anyway, I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted again. I, th- I think it's, I think this stuff does happen. It's cyclical. Um, but the cycle is long enough that you have to be quite old to remember the last period of of, of conspiracism in politics. Go back to the US, and you kind of look at you know that run of assassinations, you know JFK, RFK, Martin Luther yeah. King, and so on in the sixties, and the civil rights and anti-war protest movements, and the states' attempts to undermine those, and then Watergate, and all that stuff happens in this sort of you know ten. 12 year period um that obviously led to a huge amount of 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 conspiratorial thinking some which is still with us today um but to have been politically active in that period and to remember that you probably need to be in your 70s now yeah so so a lot of it is simply that most most politically engaged people today do not remember the last time we went through this cycle basically um and um yeah and also i think some of it is i think a lot of it is linked to to economic anxiety basically mm-hmm. i mean what we were talking about a few minutes ago with in the way that um people, people latch onto these things at times of insecurity we have for nearly 15 years now been in an economic crisis essentially yeah. you know you can be you can be in your you can be in your mid 30s and basically have never worked in, in, during the good times, mm-hmm. obviously that is going to lead to a lot of in, uh, and and then sort of in, the 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 insecurity that stems from that feeds into politics in a lot of ways. Mm. In you know we have seen the rise of populism, or we have seen a resurgence of racism and prejudice, because you know when people are feeling insecure, they are more likely to blame people who aren't like them, and so on. Yeah. Um, and I think again the conspiracism is kind of it is kind of a part of that. Um, how we what this means for how we get past it, I have no idea, because it doesn't currently look like there is not a boom around the corner, you know? Mm. And yeah. I, so I don't know. I sort of think like when 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 the economy get and living standards start getting better for significant numbers of people, um, a lot of people who lean on this stuff now will, will not anymore, and it will become a less effective political strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and suddenly there will probably be votes in, in you know, optimism. Yeah. For example, I mean, you look at like Ronald Reagan, um, who's very much a politician of of the right. Um, I don't think he was particularly conspiratorial. He mm. was just like, hey, vote for me. Everything will be sunny. I'll make your life better. And that wasn't true for like the entire electorate. Mm. Um, but but nonetheless, that that was the pitch. That's a very different kind of scenario to kind of Nixon's silent minority, majority thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, John. It's been great to have you on. And I have one 
final question. We've obviously been talking about... Lizards. Uh, the lizards did it. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope that, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> well, no, it's not actually the answer to my question. Um, <laughs> but it, Well, it may be the answer to my question. Um, my final question is this. If you had to convince everyone in the world of a particular conspiracy theory for one day, which conspiracy theory would you can would you want to convince them of, and what impact do you think it would have if everyone in the world believed it for a day? I mean, so, so again, like, a point we make a lot in the book is that there are there are real conspiracies, and often, yeah, um, oft, often conspiracy theories end up dismissing those real conspiracies. So, for example, um, the, you know, there was a conspiracy to do 9-11. It was not, so far as anyone can tell, one in which the US government was complicit, but there was a conspiracy nonetheless. Al-Qaeda was a conspiracy. Yeah. Um, and yet uh, 9-11 Trufer movement popped up to kind of argue um, for, for the alternative conspiracy theory. So, you, um, so, so in that... There is a conspiracy to undermine the environmental movement. I think. I think that's mm-hmm. a real one. I think there are. Oil, I think oil companies do sometimes do dodgy things to kind of um, hide inconvenient research and so on. So, if I could convince everybody for one thing, it would be um, the existence of that conspiracy theory and that we shouldn't listen to them and that we should bloody do something about the fact that the planet is burning. There we go. Is that an answer? Yeah, I think no. I think that's a fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> thank you once again uh, for coming on the podcast john if people want to buy the book uh, and find out more about you where should they go to do those two things um so i'm basically a twitter account with a human being hanging off the back uh, i'm at john ellidge j-o-n-n-e-w-l-e-d-g-e uh, i also uh, these days have a a newsletter which uh which paying subscribers get every week and non-paying subscribers get things um, slightly less often, but there's still a lot of material there. And that's uh, John, jown.substack.com. Uh, also, you can find me in having opinions in the New Statesman quite a lot. Excellent. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast, or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, I hope you listen to the next one.